you want to go ahead and open your Bible to Micah chapter 3, that's where we're going to be camped out this morning. Good morning. It is uh, really good to be with you at this gathering of Hope Bible Fellowship. The, the, the church is the people, not the building, whether we're here or whether we're gathered around a tree uh, outside. And so we're really glad to have you with us this morning. I'm glad to continue to walk through the book of Micah, uh, the prophet Micah, with you. If you'll recall from uh, the previous couple of weeks, Micah was a bit of an outsider. He was a country boy from Morasheth. Um, kind of out away a little ways. And so here he was coming and speaking, prophesying during the same time as the prophet Isaiah, who uh, is more well known to people generally. Okay. And uh, we said that Isaiah primarily prophesied to the, the rulers, to the monarchy. And Micah primarily was talking to the common people, um, though ironically, he's going to uh, talk about the political leaders today as well. This section, uh, beginning here in in Micah chapter 3, begins the second movement or the second oracle of Micah. I said there was three movements throughout the book or three different what we call oracles throughout the book. This is the second one of those. And he focuses in on the corruption of the political leaders as well as the corruption of the religious leaders. And Micah is going to pronounce a coming judgment upon Jerusalem. Now, the main idea that I want to circle around this morning is, is what the corruption of these political and religious leaders tells us about what's going on in their hearts. And hopefully we'll be able to see where our hearts are at as well. So let's begin by reading from Micah chapter 3. We're going to read the whole thing, so verses 1 through 12, beginning in verse 1. And I said, hear you heads of Jacob... And rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice, you who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people and flay their skin from off them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron? Then they will cry to the Lord, but he will not answer them. He will hide his face from them at at that time because they have made their deeds evil. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat and declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, and there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who detest justice and make crooked all that is straight, who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with iniquity. Its head give judgment for a, its heads give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets practice divination for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, "Is is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster shall come come upon us." Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray this morning. Dear God, we need your help. We need your help to understand your word. 
as we read these things in uh, the prophets, uh, we're struck by the starkness of the language. God, help us to see you in this. Help us to see the hope that we have in Jesus. And God, if there's anything it's just of me, I, I pray you'd clear it out, God. I, I want this um, to be you. I, I want you to speak clearly to your people through your word. I pray that you would um, you would just increase, Jesus. I would decrease. And uh, this is about you. It's for you. We give this time to you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Now, there are several, uh, several maybe sentences or, or, or phrases as you read through this that might cause your brain to go, huh, well, that's interesting, or that maybe jumps out at you a little bit. But Micah begins here with a call for the people to pay attention. Here, he says that word, hear you heads of Jacob. In other words, listen, listen to the Lord speaking. This is important. This is extremely dangerous. If they ignore the Lord when he speaks, it's dangerous to harden your hearts to the voice of the Lord. And so he says, here, listen, pay attention. Here's what's going on. I don't know if he clapped, okay? But, <laughs> but pay attention. This is what's going on. And that's the first point is he gets to is the judgment of these political leaders, the judgment of the political leaders. In Proverbs seven twenty four it says, And now, O sons, listen to me and be attentive to the words of my mouth. So when the Lord is speaking, right, when the Lord speaks, the people needed to pay attention. And here they were, we find later, ignoring that. Just as they were refusing to pay attention and heed the word of the Lord, let us not do the same this morning. Let us not hold the very word of God in our hands and read it and see what it says and walk away from it and neglect it or disobey what it says. This word, the Bible, the word of God, is the same as if God were standing right before you speaking to us audibly. It's the word of God from God. The people, though, the people that Micah was talking about and speaking to were ignorant. Now, you say, Pastor, that's not very nice to call somebody ignorant. Well, here's what ignorance is, though. Ignorance is just this. If you look up the definition of what ignorance is, ignorance is a lack of knowledge or lack of knowing. There's actually two different kinds of ignorance. All right? Some of you are thinking of your brother or sister. Don't, don't, don't do that, okay? Uh, but there's two kinds of ignorance, okay? There's two different kinds of ignorance. The first one is an ignorance that comes due to uh, your life situation or circumstances. You might be ignorant to something because of lack of an education in that particular thing or due to uh, where you grew up or how you grew up, the culture you grew up in, or maybe whatever it was was not important in the culture uh, that you grew up in. It might be ignorant about a particular thing. That's not your fault, but it's a product of where you're from or how your life developed around you, okay? So that's, that's an ignorance, okay? Um, I am ignorant of how corn grows because I didn't grow up on a farm even though I grew up in Iowa, okay? I know more now because I married the farmer's daughter, okay? But there's a second type of ignorance. There's a second type of ignorance, and this, maybe, maybe this is a better example of me since I grew up around corn. Um, there's a second type of ignorance, and it's this. It's a willful ignorance. It's self-inflicted. 
This is the type of person who's been exposed to the truth, and yet they willfully choose to ignore that. They willfully choose to ignore what they know or that truth that they've been exposed to, and really they just embrace ignorance like a warm blanket. They've rejected knowledge. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, actually, the Bible speaks to this. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me, and since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. Understand that these folks, these people here, the people in the two kingdoms, they, they had been handed knowledge. They had been handed knowledge, and they outright rejected it. They had the prophets of God. Remember, Micah wasn't the first one, right? They had had the prophets of God. They had had the word of God to his people. And they outright rejected it. And instead, they had embraced idols and began worshiping uh, false gods, idols. They had rejected God's commands. They were faced with the potential of being destroyed by their sinful choices. Unfortunately, we see the same pattern in our lives when we embrace idols and reject God's counsel. We also face the potential to be destroyed by our sinful choices. So, I mean, that brings us to the question of, I said they've rejected the counsel of God. So, in what ways had these political leaders rejected the counsel of God? In what ways had they been willfully ignorant of the counsel of God. Well, first, as leaders, they should have been protecting people and making just decisions. They should have been those who were just, who were working for justice. They should have truly understood justice. They had a mandate, if you will, to, uh, sorry, that word gets thrown around a lot these days. I shouldn't have used that one. Let me use a different, they had a, uh, they had a, okay, they had a mandate from God in, sorry, I just, I, that, I didn't plan that. That's not in the notes. I just, um, the, in Exodus, we find that God had given them counsel on how they were supposed to be as these political leaders in Israel. In Exodus chapter 23, verses 6 through 8, and I know we're jumping around a lot. Uh, most of these should be on the screen, but Exodus 23, 6 through 8 says this, You shall not pervert the justice due to your poor in his lawsuit. Keep far from a false charge and do not kill the innocent and righteous, for I will not acquit the wicked. And you shall take no bribe, for a bribe blinds the clear-sighted and subverts the cause of those who are in the right. Okay. I mean, that seems fairly clear what God is wanting from them as political leaders, as judges. The poor, though, had no chance in court because of justice being perverted. They couldn't afford a proper defense. They didn't have the money for that. They, they couldn't afford to bribe the judge. And the leadership was to make sure that they were acting justly. And these wicked leaders, though, were not. They ignored this counsel of God. Now, lest you think that that's not that big a deal. Because, oh, well, it's political leaders. It's not that important, whatever. Well, God had laid out specifically how they were supposed to be, right? This is very important to God. And you know how you can tell it's important to God is if you look in that passage in Exodus, God says that he will not, he says, I will not justify the guilty. See, God doesn't allow wickedness, he doesn't let wickedness just go. Sure, for a time we see wicked, evil things happen, but God just doesn't just 
let it go. God will always punish sin. Sin requires wrath. The wages of sin is death, and the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, the wages of sin, when, when wickedness, when evil happens, it must have wrath. It, that is its wage. That is what it's earned. It must have wrath poured upon it. And we are all sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we all fall short of God's perfect standard. All of us. So level playing field, right? I heard this week a phrase that said, uh, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Uh, and, and meaning that we all come with our sin right? We, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that sin requires wrath. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And so something has to die in, for sin. And here's the thing. We can't do anything to alter that on our own. Like we can't try really hard and be really good and come to church enough to, to alter that on our own. We can't do it. We needed someone to alter that for us. So Jesus Christ, 100% God, 100% man, came and stood condemned in your place, in my place. And he absorbed the wrath of God that was due us because of our sin on the cross. And he died in our place, a death that he did not deserve because he lived a perfect life. And he never sinned. He never had evil thoughts. He never had wicked thoughts. He never had any intention that was anything but pure and good. And he died in our place. And three days later, by the power of God, he rose from the grave, proving that God had accepted his sacrifice as once and for all the perfect sacrifice to take on and to to pay the price for that sin. Jesus had to die in order for us to be declared righteous because God will not acquit the guilty. Sin must face wrath. Sin must face judgment. Either you will experience the wrath of God for all eternity because of your sin, or you trusting in Christ that Jesus took your sin upon himself. The second way they'd rejected God's counsel was that they had abandoned mercy when they should have been embodying it. They, they, they'd completely run the other direction from being merciful, and they should have been the very ones who were embodying it as the leaders of the people. They were stripping everything of value from the people. We talked about this last week, but they were treating people who should have been treated as neighbors, as brothers and sisters, they were treating as foreign enemies. They did not care about others. The Bible here uses cannibalistic language. The idea of they were ripping everything from people, stripping them bare, like... uh, uh, like when you shred pork, right? <laughs> they were devouring people because of their wickedness. They did not care about them. They only cared about themselves. And verses 2 and 3, as I said, are particularly graphic in their description of how wicked and evil these people were in going after. And I, I, you know, I talked about taking everything for value. And last week, Micah talked about how they, uh, they were actually even going after the inheritances of of these children and these women. And, and so the, wife, the husbands would be killed or taken as prisoners of war and the wives and the children would be, their inheritance would be taken. And so they would have no other choice. The women would have to like go, to, go into prostitution to be able to survive. The, and the children, the women, they would have no chance. They would have nothing left. But here, they didn't care about any of that. They only cared about themselves. Because their wickedness ran so deep. 
Third way they rejected the counsel of God is they were filled with pride instead of humility before God and man. They were very proud. Oh, they were, they were very self-important. They were so prideful of their having been cho- chosen uh, as the chosen people of God that they actually believed that they would get away with their wickedness. They thought they would not face disaster as a result of their idolatry simply because of who they were and the fact that they'd long been a part of the covenant with Abraham. However, what they sort of failed to understand is that they'd broken that covenant. God kept his side, they broke their side. But they still strutted around as if nothing could or would touch them. How dangerous is that position? That they would say, well, we're with God, and then strut around acting in wickedness opposite to the way God wanted them to live. Nothing can hurt me. I'm with God. And they're actively pursuing a way of life opposite of what God wanted them to do. They were wearing thin on the patience of God. God is patient. But they were definitely wearing thin on it. He was going to bring judgment. Micah was telling them that this is going to happen and yet they were still prideful. No, well, we're fine. We're looking around. Everything's good. We're still here. When you have someone warning you with the word of God, you should pay attention. You should pay attention. I fear sometimes we're in that same spot. Well, I know God. I'm, I'm fine. I can do what I want. Or worse yet, we've been at it so long that we still go through the motions at, on Sunday. And yet we do whatever we want during the week. We're going to talk more about that in a little bit, of how dangerous a position that is for us to be in. They were content to remain in their sin. I once heard Mark Clifton say this, and this might not be the exact quote. It's just me remembering it, okay? But he said, people won't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. People won't change until the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. A lot of times people won't change until they're so beat up and bruised by their sin that it hurts more to stay in that than to change. I thought that, that there's something to that. Because the question is, why, were, why in the world were they continuing in this? They had a guy saying, here's what God says is going to happen. And they continued to do what they were doing and be proud of it. They, were, they had a strut about it. It's because <laughs> there was currently no pain in them in staying that way, but it was coming. It was coming. Even though they denied it, even though they didn't believe that destruction was coming, it was still coming because God said it was coming. They did not believe it. So that's the judgment on the political leaders. Let's look at the second one, judgment on the religious leaders. Okay, judgment on their religious leaders. Because Micah turns his rebuke to the religious leaders of the day in verses 5 through 7 and then again in verse 11. These are the people who are responsible for leading the people in their religious practices. They were, they were supposed to be leading them in worship of Yahweh. 
They were supposed to be teaching them loyalty to the covenant with God. They were supposed to be obeying God's commands and teaching the people how to obey God's commands and teaching people how to put into practice God's counsel in their daily lives. But as we read, they weren't doing this. In fact, they were acting in and leading people in the exact opposite direction. So you had people who were supposed to be leading people to God, leading them away from God. There's a contrast between the motivations of the false prophets and the true prophet. Okay? So we see uh, in Micah, he's talking about these false prophets. And then we have Micah, who actually, uh, in a little bit, actually mentions his standing as a true prophet. There's a difference in their motivations. The, The false prophets were motivated by popularity and greed. These religious, false religious teachers, they wanted people to like them. So they preached an appealing message. They had no care for the truth of the message, but instead they wanted the message to be positive. They wanted the people to feel good about them. They didn't like Micah preaching such a bleak message of sure destruction. Again, they believed they were secure as children of Abraham, but they were wrong. And this is continually evidenced by the fact that they, they would step up with a positive message for those who would pay them for it and rebuke those who wouldn't. If your religious leaders are greedy for gain and willing to curse those who do not pay them for a good message, then it's not surprising what the hearts of the people were like. They were being led astray. Leadership's important. One of the starkest words in Micah's message was to these religious leaders that they would be abandoned by God. The tragic uh, thing about that is they had the potential to hear from God, but they had been wicked, and part of the judgment upon them was that God was, they were going to call out to God. He was going to be silent. One author wrote that God was consigning them to an existence of spiritual darkness. They would never again hear a word from God. Folks, God takes the responsibility of leading his people very seriously. He still does. He still does. I feel that every day of my life. So we had the false prophets and then the true prophet. Whereas the false prophets and the wicked religious leaders were leading people away from obedience to God's commands, Micah stood... As a true prophet of God, declaring God's word to God's people. And in verse 8, we find that Micah was filled with God's power. Let's read verse 8. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might, to declare to Jacob his transgression, and to Israel his sin. Micah was filled with God's power, and that power came from God, the Holy Spirit. It was not until, I'll remind you, it was not until God sending His Spirit at Pentecost that believers had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Before that, the Holy Spirit would empower some people to fulfill God's sovereign purposes. And because Micah was filled with that power from the Holy Spirit, he would teach and preach courageously about the judgment of God because he was empowered by the Spirit. 
Now, as those who have trusted in Christ for salvation, those of us who have, we have the Holy Spirit living in us and empowering us for ministry. And Jesus has all authority, and he commissioned us with that for his mission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20, we talked about this one a lot. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, Micah had courage because he was empowered by the Spirit of God. We can have courage to serve and make disciples because we have the spirit of the living God indwelling us if we are his children. We can stand in courage and declare the truth of the Lord because Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, right, at Pentecost. And then, here's the thing though, before that, during the Great Commission, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So he says, I've got all the authority, now I'm commanding you to go and exercise that. By making disciples. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. If we are children of God. If we've trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. So Micah had some harsh words for the political leaders. He had some harsh words for the religious leaders. But what I want to do is I want to tap into what are the parallels with today? What are the parallels with today? And then where do we see it pointing to Jesus? And so that's what point number three is, is today's parallels. Micah's description of his ministry is similar in some ways to other descriptions of prophetic ministries that we've seen elsewhere in Scripture. Okay? In fact, it's a little reminiscent of uh, the prophet Isaiah, who is one of Micah's contemporaries. Remember, they served during the same time. Micah served for about 30 years, and and at the same time, Isaiah was serving. Their ministries overlapped. And if we look at the way that Isaiah spoke about his ministry in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, this may sound a little familiar, and it may not, but... I'm going to connect the dots for you in just a minute. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified." Here's something that Micah and Isaiah had in common. They were both aware that they were appointed to a special prophetic work. They were aware of their calling, right? They were aware of what God had appointed them to do. And secondly, they were committed, both of them, to accomplishing that mission. They would have had lots of opportunities to not. 
to give in. You know, Micah, they were like, hey, why can't, why can't you preach something positive? And Isaiah had similar, similar um, conflict that he faced, you know. Like, well, how come you always got to tell us we're going we're gonna to be destroyed? Why can't you tell us something good? Well, they were committed to accomplishing their mission, and that was the mission that God gave, was to proclaim, to prophesy of that coming judgment because of their wickedness, to call them into, you know, repent, turn, change, but you haven't, and destruction's coming. This description of Isaiah's ministry, which also reminds us of Micah's, is also interesting because 700 years later, 700 years after Micah, or excuse me, after Isaiah had written that, Jesus quoted it. Jesus quoted it. Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30, tells us about Jesus quoting this. Beginning in verse 16, it says, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at, this, at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of, the, out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. So Jesus quotes this, right? He says, this has been fulfilled before you. The people are amazed. They're, they're loving it. They're amazed by it. And then, they want, what do they want? Oh, they want him to do miracles like he'd done in Capernaum. And he tells them, basically, that their hearts were so hard that he wasn't going to do miracles among them. Their hearts were hard. The people were so enraged, they were so upset by this, that they took him out and tried to throw him off a cliff. They tried to kill him. That's classic humanity, isn't it? Kill the messenger. Right? Don't we, like, you have to give somebody bad news at work, 
and you go to your boss and you give them the report and you're like, well, sorry, this thing happened, we lost all this money, whatever it is. And they, then they start to get mad and you're like, don't shoot the messenger. Classic, they wanted to kill the messenger. As Bill Curtis writes, though, only this time, the messenger had come to die. Wicked, selfish men coordinated the death of Jesus the Messiah, but a sovereign God orchestrated it. And through his death and resurrection, Jesus would provide a once-for-all sacrifice for the sins of the world. The people 700 years earlier in the days of Micah and Isaiah had forgotten the promise of Messiah. They started putting their hope in other things. They hoped in the government or in other nations to protect and provide for them instead of God. They worshipped idols instead of looking to God and waiting for his promised Messiah. They gave up on living godly lives and being obedient to their covenant while looking forward to Messiah's promised rule and reign. And instead, they sought pleasure and hope in the here and now. They were arrogant in their own wisdom. They trusted in their birthright instead of the giver of that birthright. And friends, as I read that, as I study, I'm like, gosh, that sounds an awful lot like 2021 America, doesn't it? That sounds an awful lot like modern culture. I... It may be like that in other countries. I just I don't live in other countries. I live here, so that's why I say that. It sounds like today, when people give lip service to God, they show up at church once in a while, maybe Christmas and Easter, maybe Grandma's birthday. Maybe they show up a little more often during some other times of the year. But they give lip service to God, although that's becoming less and less the case. They would say things like, well, God loves me. God understands me. Like, God's not concerned with my lifestyle choices. I can just do what I want to do and and keep moving forward. And God loves me and understands me. and, And he's fine. Nothing bad is happening to me right now. And they've placed their hope in religious activity. Maybe not just going to church. Maybe the religious activity of, well, I do good. I don't know how many people have ever told me, uh, well, I don't go to church, but um, I try to be kind to people. I help, I help people. Well, helping people is great. But if you're hoping in that religious activity or that just good activity to, to somehow outbalance your sin, you're going to be eternally disappointed. The people in Micah's day, were all about their religious activity. But Jesus shows up, right? And he turns that on its head. God became flesh and dwelled among us. He made a way so that people could not just worship God, but could know God personally. But we have to come in humility, admitting that we are sinners, believing that Jesus is God and that he died in my place for my sin and that he was raised from the dead three days later by the power of God and that forgiveness is available. Forgiveness is available to each of us, but it's not automatic. We have a responsibility to repent of our sin and believe the good news. Not everyone 
gets it. That's why we proclaim it. So that many more may come to know Jesus and be saved from the wrath of God on their sin. Those of us who know Jesus, you may say, Pastor, I know Jesus, trying to live my life following the Lord, have the Holy Spirit indwelling me. But let me tell you, those of us who know Jesus, we must be watchful. Because there's a danger for us, as there was for the people in Micah's day, that we may substitute our religious activity for our relationship with God. And we should heed the warning that if we're not watchful and paying close attention to growing our relationship with God, we can become like those political and religious leaders in the book of Micah. God pursues us with his truth. He challenges us to chase truth and to live for the glory of God. And we can live for the glory of God as we accept his word and apply the counsel of the word to our daily lives. So as um, I'm going to ask Megan and Colin to come back up and we're going to sing one final song. But uh, before we sing, I, I want to put this before you. Today, you have a choice to make. You have a choice to make. I want to present four choices that might be before you each of you this morning. Number one is to know Jesus. Maybe you've never met Jesus. Maybe you've never repented of your sin and trusted in his death on the cross in your place as the perfect sacrifice once and for all to forgive you of your sin and give you new life in Christ. Maybe you've never trusted in Jesus and repented of your sin and this needs to be the day that you surrendered to Jesus. Maybe that's today for you. Number two is maybe you've been trusting in other things. You've kind of slid into that idea of, of, of trusting in your religious activity, your good deeds in some way, and you need to repent of that and turn away from that and turn to the Lord. Number three, maybe you're someone who needs to surrender. Now, I'm, I'm using the word purposefully, surrender instead of commitment. Surrender to growing your relationship with Jesus. There may be some things in your life that are impeding your growth, your spiritual growth, and you need to surrender those to God. You need to build your affections for Christ. How do you do that? Well, there are certain things that you know that build your affection for God, and you need to do those things. There are certain things that take away from your affections for God or hinder them, and you need to stop doing those things. I know that sounds really simple. It kind of is that simple. And number four, you say, Pastor, I, I trust Jesus. I'm trying to live my life trusting in Christ alone, not trusting in other things, not, not mistaking religious activity for my relationship with God. Then number four is, will you courageously stand in the spirit of God and make disciples? Will you courageously stand with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and proclaim the truth that judgment is coming but there is hope and there is salvation. There is freedom available in Jesus. Will you stand and say, as followers of Christ, we're supposed to be living like Jesus. We're supposed to be doing the things in this book. Okay? I know people are like, well, it's not a list of do's and don'ts. But there are some do's and don'ts in here and that's okay. But the do's and don'ts don't save you. The do's and don'ts don't, don't get you more favor with God. Jesus died so that we could have right standing with God. 
and he would take the wrath of God on himself in our place. And only because of that, only after trusting him, can we begin to understand and live out the things in this book. See, we get it backwards too much. We think, I got to do this so that God will love me. No, God loves me. God died. Jesus died for me. And therefore, I want to serve him the way he wants to be served and live obedient to what he's called me to do. Would you stand up with me, please? I'm going to pray, and after I pray, um, Colin and Megan are going to lead us in a final song. If the Lord has been speaking to your heart this morning, um, I'd love to talk with you about that. Um, I'll be around afterwards, or you can get a hold of me during the week. Um, My cards are out on the table if somebody wants to call me up um, during the week. But I'd love to talk with you more about that. But here's the thing. There's probably someone right next to you that would love to pray with you about whatever decision it is you need to make. And of course, I want to hear about it. Um, But my point is, you don't have to come talk to the pastor. I sometimes, I've heard, can maybe be scary. I don't know. Um, But if that's the case, and I'm too intimidating because of my job, um, then, you know, we've got lots of men and women in this room who would love to pray with you and to share how you can follow Jesus. Let's pray this morning and then we'll sing. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everyone who's gathered here. God, I am constantly amazed at how you gather you gather people in a room for a purpose. And I'm thankful that there's a purpose why I'm here. There's a purpose why all of us are here. God, I know we may not know that for, you know, a thousand years when we're in eternity. Um, but God, I, I trust your purposes trust your word that it goes out and does what you want it to. God, I pray that you would stop me from replacing a relationship with you with religious activity. I pray that when that happens, you would convict me of that, bring me quickly to repentance. God, I pray you would help me to do the things that build my affections for you and not do the things that tear them down. God, we pray you'd move on our hearts this morning. And let us all be able to experience what we sang earlier, that we're no longer slaves to sin, but we've become children of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.